good morning. Aren't uh, holiday weekends great? Uh, you get a day off of work, uh, get with family, that can be a little iffy, but uh, food's always good, right? And the weather's not been too bad, so I'm um, glad that you're here this morning. We're great Sunday to pick. We're starting a new series, probably going to go six or eight weeks, uh, titled Too Good to Be True. In fact, I've got some really good news for you folks. I got this email this week I want to read to you. Give me a second here to find it. Let me turn it here so my old eyes can read it. Greetings from Sister Elizabeth Sinby. Compelled to write to you under humanitarian ground. I'm married to Mr. Isaac, who we were married 36 years. He died. Recently, I'm sick, and my doctor told me I'm going to die in the next six months from cancer. So, here's the good news. Before my husband died, he deposited a sum of $2.5 million in the security company, uh, presenting the money still, presently the money's still in the vault. And so, she says, um, I want somebody that will use these funds according to the desires of my late husband. And so, then she said, I'm afraid, of, I'm not afraid of dying, which is Good. But write back as soon as possible and without delay and in reply will give me room to sort or will give me room in sourcing another person for the same purpose. Hoping to to read from you ASAP. And of course I got that on Thursday and I replied on Thursday, right? I found out a lot of you guys folks get these men. We all would be multimillionaires by now, right? Of course for ministry. If it sounds too good to be true, it's what? Too good to be true, exactly. Now, we have this thing in our country called American worth ethic, where, you know, no pain, no gain. Um, uh, we, we earn money the old-fashioned way. We, I mean, we're, we, we earn it, uh, uh, pull up ourselves by our bootstraps. If God helps those who help themselves, all right, American worth ethic, nothing wrong with that, right? It's good. That's how come we're such a great nation, but once you apply those principles to God and church and theology, it's horrible. <laughs> it, and it, that's the problem we have in all religion, but especially Christianity, is transferring that. So what is God really like? What does God really expect from us? Now, we say God is love, but love's kind of a uh, strange word, isn't it? We love all kinds of things. We love pickles. We love our dog. We love the weather or, or whatever. All right, And we've all been hurt by somebody who said they loved us. And we've all hurt somebody that we've said we love them. So when we say God is love, that gives us some mixed emotions. Uh, we can say God is nice. Some people may say God is not nice. God is mean. Um, what is God really like? I think the best word to describe God is God is gracious. We all understand the word gracious. It doesn't really have a negative connotation, does it? So God is gracious. That is his nature. He wants to give to us, and not because we deserve it. It's just because he wants to be gracious. Now, if you're going to understand Christianity, you have to understand what God is like, especially you're going to have to understand that God is gracious. Now, when somebody's gracious, we are drawn to them, aren't we? My wife is a very gracious person. Most of you know her. Most of you are drawn to her, aren't you? I certainly am as her husband because she is gracious. So we're going to start this new series called uh, Too Good to Be True, and we're going to start with the topic of 
saving grace. Another way to say that is how you and I can connect or reconnect with God. Now, so what is grace? There's lots of definitions of grace. One of the old standbys is using an acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. There it is, grace, G-R-A-C-E. Um, it's God's love in action is another definition. One definition I like is the face God wears when he sees my failure. That's a pretty cool definition, right? But we also have to understand the difference between mercy and grace. Now, mercy is not getting what you deserve. All right, in, uh, in, in the court system, you know, you've done something and, you know, you should get uh, this sentence and the, and the judge says, I'm going to show you mercy and you, I'm going to set you free, right? You don't get what you deserve. As far as spiritually speaking or church-wide or God-connected wise, God doesn't zap us when we first make a mistake, does he? He, he could do that, all right? Uh, but he doesn't. He shows us mercy, and he shows everybody mercy. Because otherwise, we all die as little children, right? <laughs> when we mess up. So that's mercy. What is grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's kind of the plus side, the good side. Uh, we don't deserve a relationship with God. He provides that for us. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. He provides that. That is grace. We don't deserve anything we get. So that's God's grace. Now, most people understand, most people that come to church, um, our kind of church anyway, would understand basically what salvation by grace is. But most of us don't act like our salvation is by grace. We understand it intellectually, but we don't act that way. What we do is try and please God, okay? God's done this great thing for us. He's provided salvation for us. So I'm going to try and please him. Like when we're kids, we try and please our parents or we try and please our teachers or whatever. And we're afraid they're going to be mad at us when we mess up, etc. And that's the way most of us treat our Christian life or Jesus following. I don't want to get God mad at me. Have I done this? Now he's mad at me. And, and sometimes we kind of drift away from him because of, we have those feelings. But that's not true Christianity. <laughs> and that shows a misunderstanding of grace. <clears throat> when you understand grace, it's irresistible. And that's what we're going to talk to you about, not just today, but for the coming weeks. And we don't want you just to understand it. We want you to experience it. We want you to feel it. We want you to incorporate, incorporate it into your life and the way you live your life. So salvation by grace is going to be the foundation of this series. And that's what we're going to talk about. For some of us, it's going to be a review, but a good review. It's uh, like uh, Justin was talking about, he, he has this great memory of, of his baptismal service. And so we're going to have this great memory of how God saved us. Those of us are in a personal relationship with God. If you're not, this will be good information for you if you're thinking about that. Now we're going to look at something that a guy named Paul wrote. He started some churches in the uh, Eastern Mediterranean uh, 20 years or so after Jesus died. And then he wrote letters back to those churches. And this one was written to a church in Ephesus. And we're going to look at what's titled or chapter 2. He says to all of us, once, he's writing to them, but applies to all of us. Once you were dead, I like this word, doomed forever because of your many sins. Now, dead, death means separation. And so... 
Because we mess up, because we, we use the word sin, because we mess up, it separates us from God because God's perfect and we're not. So it causes a, a, a separation. And what can a dead thing do? Dead thing can't do anything. So we are doomed, all right? We are separated from God because of our mess-ups, our sins, and we, we're dead, so we can't do anything about it. So consequently, we're doomed. <laughs> not a very pleasant thought, is it? And he goes on, though. All of us used to live that way, so there's nobody that's exempt from that. All of us have messed up, all of us are dead, all of us are separated from God at one point in our life. We followed the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature. So our nature is to be evil or bad or self-centered, even if you have a little child, Justin said that, even that's his little baby or Amanda. Uh, a small baby, it's all about them, right? As a parent, <laughs> you find that out really quickly, right? So that is our nature. That's what we do naturally. I always tell people, I'm amazed the world's not worse than it is because that's our nature. And the reason we're not worse than we are is so that <laughs> we can hopefully get along. And we can have a somewhat uh, decent life. And we talk about free will a lot. But in reality, we do not have free will to not do bad things. All right, does that make sense? You and I do not have the willpower not to do bad things. We don't. That's our nature. Now, do only Jesus followers do good things? No, lots of people do good things. But we categorize good things. What are good things? Well, I do good things or better things than the people in prison, for example. (laughs) So it's easy for me to say I'm good if I compare myself to somebody in prison. But if I compare myself to God, that's where the problem comes, right? Because then I don't look good. I am not. I'm not good. So here we are. Not good. We are doomed, okay? Now the next two words are really important. (laughs) But God, okay? I'm doomed. I can't do anything about my condition, my situation. So somebody else is going to have to do something about it. And you can't do anything about it because you're in the same situation as I am, right? But God can. And God did. He is rich in mercy, not zapping us when we do bad things. Uh, He doesn't give us what we deserve. And he's loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, separated from him, he gave us life. All right, so I was dead. He's going to give me life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. It's only by God's grace that you and I can be reconnected with God. It's only by God's grace. There's no other way, okay? This is it. Because you and I can't do it. This is what God says. This is the way it's going to happen. No other way. How do people turn around? Just by good luck or good genes? People change their life. No. It's by some kind of transformation. So where do you need a but God in your life? Where in your, your life do you need to stop doing something you shouldn't be doing? Now, God, because he gives his life, declares us not guilty or not dead. All right? This is his declaration because of what Jesus did. We are declared not guilty. All right? Now, you can be the worst person in the world, and the judge 
go to court and the judge says, I'm going to say you're not guilty. I'm going to pardon you. That's what God does for each of us that to choose to accept this grace gift that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. He goes on. For he raised us from the dead. If you're dead, to get, to be, get, to be, to get life, you have to be raised along with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So this isn't all there is to life. If you're not a, a church person or, or a God, God person, you might not believe, and I bet a neighbor doesn't believe in life after death, but Paul certainly did, and Jesus certainly did, and he promises us to us that there is more to life than this. And most people, I believe, think there is more to life than this 70 or 80 years on earth. And he goes on. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace. Now, I don't know how many believers or Jesus followers there have been over the two centuries, but it's probably been billions, all right? So God has provided this for billions of people. That's a lot of wealth, isn't it? Wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Not only is there a lot of people, but there's a lot of badness in all these people, including me, right? Including you. So that's a great, incredible wealth of grace. And then he goes on. This is a very familiar verse if you've been around church for a while. God saved you or entered into a relationship with you by his grace. The only way it can happen. When you believe, that's your part, my part, and you can't take credit for this because I'm dead you're dead can't take credit for it because you and I can't do anything it is a gift from God now how do you respond when somebody gives you a gift say oh that's a nice gift how much do I owe you for it is that how you respond to a gift I don't I say thank you right so how do you respond to God's gift you say well that's nice but hey what do I got to do all right, how many times do I got to go to church? How much money do I got to put in the offer plate? What do I got to do? Now you should just say, thank you, right? And then he goes on. Next verse is also part that's pretty familiar to us. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. And maybe you've done a lot of good things. Hopefully you have. It has nothing to do with salvation it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with entering into a relationship with God. That's kind of hard for us to accept sometimes, but that's the truth. Why? And here's a big reason why. So none of us could boast about it. Can you imagine what heaven would be like if we got there on our own merits? And you say, well, you know, I was this Jesus follower for 50 years, and I went to church almost every Sunday, and I would say to you, well, I did go to church every Sunday. And not only that, I was a pastor for 50 years. And I went on mission trips. And then somebody else would come along. Well, I sold all I had and gave it to the poor. How about that? Heaven would be a horrible place, wouldn't it? If we got there on our merits. So we can't boast about it because we have nothing to do with it. <laughs> all right? We are dead in our ability to do anything with it. And then he finishes with this. For we are God's masterpiece. Now, a masterpiece is something that is unique, that is made by a master craftsman, right? And so God has made you and I masterpieces. 
We're all one of a kind, right? And it is something good, something special. It's a masterpiece, if you will. Now, if everybody's a masterpiece, should you or I disrespect anybody that's breathing? No matter how bad we think they are, no matter how much they maybe even that they hurt us. And we're going to talk about offering grace in one of these Sundays coming up. No, because they're a masterpiece of God's creation. So why did God make us these masterpieces? Just say, hey, hey, look at me, I'm a masterpiece. No, he says, we created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we were created, we just, just had a baby born yesterday, a couple bit more coming along soon. We are created or, or born that physically, but then we die spiritually, so we have to be born again, as we say. So we are created anew in Christ Jesus so that, hey, look at me, how good I am. No. So that we can do good things for the, uh, the good things he planned for us long ago. So God offers you his grace, offers you a relationship with him. Why? So that you and I can do good things. All right? I summarize this whole passage this way. Salvation isn't based on my performance, good or bad. Of course, bad things you shouldn't think would get you salvation. It's not based on that. It has nothing to do with that. Absolutely nothing. But God's promise, God's offer of this gift of a relationship. It's not based on my goodness or badness, but God's grace. It's not based on my merit. I deserve it. But God's mercy, he doesn't give me what I deserve. So let's kind of break this down in about five different points here. Grace is what? Grace is first God's gift. Now, if you ask 50 people, how do you have a relationship with God or how do you get to go to heaven when you die? You're going to get, most people are going to give you some answer similar to this. Well, if I do more good things than bad things. And I always think, well, how are you sure if you, if you do more good things than bad things? And most of us think we are better than some other people. So, you know, I'm kind of, it's kind of like, Top half of people get to go to heaven. The bottom half of people don't get to go to heaven. Now, why do most people respond that way? That's, as a pastor, that's interesting to me. Why? Why would most people say that? And I think it's this reason. If you and I were creating heaven, if you and I controlled heaven, that was kind of the way we would do it, wouldn't it? We'd kind of get the top, maybe you know, top 10% of the good, what we consider good people. We'd let them in. Nobody else could get in, right? That's the way we would do it. But God's not us. A good thing he's not us, all right? Because all the people at the bottom of that list wouldn't have a chance, would they? But God who created everybody as a masterpiece wants everybody to have a chance. So he doesn't base it on if we do good things or bad things. It's God's gift. Now, I say Christianity is not a religion. I mean, it's technically a religion because it's, talking about how we relate to God. But it's completely different from every religion. Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, whatever. Every religion other than Christianity is based on one simple word, do. 
all the Judaism, Islam, all have the, you know, this, 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 and this. And when you die, you get to go to be with Allah or God or heaven or bliss or whatever they want to call it. Got to do this, 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 and this. If you don't do this, you don't get there. It's all based on do. Every religion that exists outside of Christianity is based on do. That's the problem when we become a Christian. We think Christianity is like all these other religions. It's based on what I do. <laughs> but it's not. That is complete opposite. It's not based on what you do at all. It's based on what's already been done. Done for you. So if somebody comes to you, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and says, uh, what can I do to be saved, or what can I do to connect to God? You can respond, you're 2,000 you're 2, years too late. <laughs> it was already done, okay? I don't know what they, how they respond to that, but that's what you could say to them. You're late, too late, already been done 2,000 years ago. In fact, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, I think we've got seven things recorded that he said. One of the most interesting things for me of the things he said is this. We're going to get it up? Yeah, there it is. It is finished. Now, this is interesting because he didn't say, I am finished, because he knew he wasn't, right? Three days later, he's going to come back to life. He wasn't finished. So what is the it and it is finished. Well, it is salvation is finished. All the work has been done for you and I to reconnect with God, even though we have this evil nature and we're doomed and, and dead. All the work was done 2,000 years ago. All right? If all the work is done, there's no more work to do, right? We've got the final occupancy permit on this little part of the building we built over here. So there's nothing else to do. It's finished. Okay? Now, we can do other things to it, but it has nothing to do with, as far as the county is concerned, our occupancy of it. It's finished. Same thing with your salvation. It is finished 2,000 years ago. If you and I understand that, it's irresistible. Why would you refuse it? I know it sounds too good to be true, but in this case, it is true. Now, who is this gift for? You know, I can buy a gift for my wife. It's not for the rest of you ladies here. Who is this gift for? This gift of grace. It's available to everyone. Like I said, God made all of his masterpieces. He wanted to provide salvation for everyone. Does God play favorites? You know, I like this, this guy over here and this gal over here, but I don't know about you back there. Does God do that? No, God doesn't do that. But the Israelites were considered, are considered God's chosen people. Why? Well, actually, you just start out with this guy named Abraham. Was he some kind of special, special guy, different from everybody else? No, he was just like everybody else. They were chosen, not because they, what they did, but they were chosen for a task. Their task was to tell the world about the one true God, Yahweh. That's what it means. They were chosen for a task. Now, after Jesus and the church was started, that task was transferred to the church, which is you and I, or most of us here, all right? So now it's our task to tell the world what God is like and how they can reconnect with him. Came across this cute little video to remind us of our task.
So that's your task. This is a great time to invite people because we're going to be talking about this wonderful thing called grace for the next six or eight weeks. So invite somebody. Now, maybe you've done some great things. Hopefully you've done some great things. But heaven's a perfect place, and none of you are perfect. I don't know all of you, but I, I know you're not perfect. So you, you don't get to go. Because I like to think of it this way. If they let me in, I would mess it up, right? It's a perfect place. Think about it this way. Um, in sports, there's nobody that bats a thousand, right? As soon as you make one out, you can never bat a thousand again. By the way, if there was a cornhole heaven, I would be able to get in. Because I played one game of cornhole two weeks ago, and I won. All right? But uh, if I played again, probably not, right? <laughs> okay. So... Heaven's a perfect place. You and I can't get there because we're not perfect unless, again, something is done for us. So grace is a gift. It's for everyone, available to everyone. And thirdly, it comes through Christ. Now, why through Christ? Not through, why not Muhammad or Buddha or who knows, somebody else, you or I? Why not? Because Jesus <laughs> paid the price, right? He did the work. Um, salvation, we say, is free, but it's not cheap. In fact, it's very, very expensive to him. So salvation is through Christ because he did the work. Um, there's a lot of different terms for a, a Jesus follower in the Bible, but I don't know if you know this, but the most popular one is in Christ. And if I send you an email, often I'll sign it, in Christ, Pastor Alan Youngbar. That is the most common reference in the, in, in the Bible. 120 times it shows up, in Christ. So I'm going to try and illustrate that, help you understand that this morning. This is me, okay? This represents me, can represent you. Now as we go through life, life is tough, isn't it? And it's hard. And things start to mess us up, and we mess up other people. We hurt people, and they hurt us, and, and uh, bad things happen to even good people, right? And so I do things I wish I hadn't done, regrets, etc. So my life after a while kind of looks like this, doesn't it? Not, not too good. And yours does too, right? But the way Paul is describing it to us, he says, but in Christ, this is in Christ, this is what I see. This is what God sees. He doesn't see my mess-ups, my scars. In Christ, anyway, he doesn't see. He sees his perfect son, Jesus. Now, think about it this way. If you could get to heaven any other way, why did Jesus die? In fact, Jesus' death on the cross is a huge, huge waste if we could get there any other way, which can't. comes through Christ. And next, it's received by faith. You just have to believe it. Kind of hard to believe. It seems too good to be true. You have to believe it. I can say, hey, I've got $100 for you. Now, you've got two options, right? Eh, the pastor's not going to give me $100. I know him, he's cheapskate, cheapskate do that. And you'd probably be right. But anyway, uh, 
you wouldn't believe it. Or you could say, hey, yeah, I'll be over this afternoon to pick it up. And I'll say, great, come over. That's the only two options with a gift. Believe it or not. Lots of illustrations in the Bible. I'm going to tell you a story back probably about 3,000 years ago when the Israelites were becoming a nation and they got their first king. His name was Saul. And Saul's oldest son was named Jonathan. In those days, the oldest son of the king became what? The next king, right? That was the normal way of doing things. Well, God does things differently. And God said, no, Jonathan's not going to be the next king. David's going to be the next king. And when... Saul found that out. He didn't like that too much, and he spent years trying to kill David. David never never, uh, reciprocated. In fact, David and Jonathan became best friends, and they made this pact that if anything ever happened to one or the other, the other one would take care of their family. So unfortunately, Saul and Jonathan both died on the same day in a battle. And uh, the family of Saul and Jonathan feared for their life because the other thing that happened back then, when somebody other family became king, what did they do to the family of the ex-king, the last king? They killed them all. They didn't want to try and usurp their authority. So if you belonged to Jonathan or, or Saul's family, you ran for your life. And that's exactly what they did, or the, the nurse for uh, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, tough name to say, <laughs> don't name your kids that, Mephibosheth, she was running with him, and she dropped him, and he became crippled, paraplegic. He couldn't walk the rest of his life. So David becomes king, and after a few years, he remembers his promise to Jonathan. He says, is there anybody left from Saul or Jonathan's family uh, that I can fulfill this promise? And they say, yeah, there's this, this boy, that, Mephibosheth, who's, who's crippled, and so he orders him to come to the palace. Now, if you're Mephibosheth, you're thinking, uh-oh, he's found me. This is the end, Right? So he comes in, he says, hey, I made this promise to your dad that I would adopt you into my family. I would treat you as my own. You can, the rest of your life, you can just sit back and relax and sit at the king's table. How do you describe that? Did he deserve that? No, it is simply an act of grace. Now, he could have said, no, I don't want to sit at the king's table. (laughs) I want to do it on my own out here. He didn't do that. And he lived in luxury the rest of his life. Not because he deserved it, but because the king offered it to him. And then lastly, grace goes on forever. It's not just about this life. Once you reconnect with God, there's life after this life. Now, some of you may not believe that. My neighbor doesn't believe that. But I think most of us deep down realize there's got to be more to life than this, right? And quickly, I just want to review what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be a place of reunion. And this is special to, to our family right now because in about uh, 10 days, it's going to be the nine days of the first anniversary of our daughter-in-law, Aaron, dying last year. It's getting tough to even think about it. But one day, I'm going to get to see her again. And we'll sit down and talk and, and have fun. Uh, seven years ago, my mom died. My dad died a long time ago. I could be with them. We all have loved ones and friends that have died, right? One of our church members, her, her nephew just died this week, 42, a heart attack. So it's going to be a place of reunion. It's going to be a place of reward. I don't quite understand all that because it's going to be a perfect place, great place for everybody, but some of us are going to get 
Some kind of rewards, all right? It's even going to be better, better than good, better than great. It's going to be a place of new work. I call it new work. Whatever you really enjoy here on earth, whether it's your job or your hobby, you'll get to do that in eternity. Now, I'm going to be out of a job in heaven. They don't need pastors in heaven. But whatever you do, they may need, and uh, you'll get to do that. Of course, you won't get tired, and you won't. <laughs> uh, it'll be just, it'll just be a joy to work. But maybe the best thing about heaven is going to be a place of relief. There's not going to be any more pain, sorrow, tears. I'll be gone. Just joy. Grace goes on forever. Uh, I'll just tell you a story about the, uh, from Jesus' life as we finish up. The, they brought this lady to Jesus, uh, caught in adultery, the way that it's described. And the Bible, the, the Old Testament law said you've got to stone anybody caught in adultery. Just, just kill them. And so they're expecting Jesus to say, yeah, kill her. And he says, uh, hey, if any of you are without sin, any of you have messed up, you, you throw the first stone. Well, of course, they all had messed up, so they all walked away. So Jesus is left with this lady that had been caught in adultery. We don't know how disreputable her life had been. And he says this to her. Where are you condemners? And she said, they're all gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Ever feel condemned by God? Jesus didn't come to condemn you. I don't know if you've done things worse than her or, or not. Doesn't matter. He says, neither do I. Now go. But stop doing this stuff. It's not good for you. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting other people. Now, did this lady need a savior? She was facing the firing squad, if you will. The stone squad. Did she need a savior? She needed one right then and there. And so do you and I. Now, this whole grace thing has one catch. And here it is. It's not what you think. (laughs) You have to accept it. That's it. That's the only catch. No other catches. Let me try and illustrate with this story and then we're done. The store opens up. It's called the coat store. No sale signs. It says coat store. Go in the coat store, and there's, all there is is coats, nothing else. Kind of strange. Most stores sell more than one thing, just coats. And they're the most beautiful coats you ever saw. And there's no prices tags on any of them. And you go on, you finally find one that fits you perfectly, and you look inside, and the name tag has your name in it. And so you go up to the to the person and say, man, I, this is a beautiful coat. I'm sure it's really expensive. How much does it cost? And they say, oh, you're wrong. It's free. If you'll accept it. Now, there's different responses you can have to that, right? Nah, that's too good to be true. <laughs> I know there's some catch. I'm not touching that coat. Here, keep it. Or you could say, eh, I don't know about this. I'll take it home, but I don't know if I'm going to wear it. I'm going to stick it in the closet. Think about this for a while. Or maybe, hey, can I give this to somebody else? No, 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 no. It's, it's made just specifically for you and only you. You can't give it to anybody else. Either you take it or it gets, gets left here. Salvation by grace, reconnecting with God, has only one catch. It may sound too good to be true, but if you accept it, it's your gift. Let's summarize again. 
Salvation isn't based on my performance, good or bad. It has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with it. As hard as that is to believe, but based on God's promise. That Jesus died for you. He's offering you this gift, not because you deserve it, because you certainly don't, but because I love you that much. It's up to you. It's up to me. We'll continue talking about grace, like I said, for the next few weeks. Hope you can join us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) Sounds too good to be true, but if we really sit back and think about it, it's the only way it could happen. Because heaven's a perfect place. I'm not. There's no way I can ever be perfect on my own. Somebody else has got to provide it for me. And you, because you love us and you created us, you wanted to be I didn't want to be separated from us. You want to be connected with us. And not just for here, but for eternity. And so you offer this gift. God, I thank you for all those of us who have received it, but we still struggle with how that, that looks, how we live that out. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But we want to especially pray for anybody this morning that's just sitting there thinking, wow, I don't know. I don't know if I, could, if I take that coat and put it on. God, just, just let them step across the line. Let them just say, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to risk it. I'm going to try it, even though it sounds too good to be true. We thank you for Jesus and the salvation, the relationship he brings. It's his name we pray. Amen. I'm sure you've had some, some of you have had some questions about what I've said this morning. You can use your response card, or please come, come talk to me personally. Uh, we'd love to help. Anything else we can do, let us know. Please let us know about the baptismal thing. I hope to have a class next week, next Sunday afternoon. Maybe you can just come to class and, and bring your questions. But please let us know what we can do to help.